Hello and welcome to Bibliophiles, a podcast where you get to sit in on conversations about books and reading with the ultimate book lovers, librarians. In each episode, we'll explore a theme and tell you what we're excited about reading right now. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Bibliophiles. I'm your host, Jen Webb, and uh, this, today we're going to talk about uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriately enough, today we're going to talk about failure. <laughs> Let's try that again. Yes. Hello, I'm your host, Jen Webb. This is Bibliophiles, and today's theme is failure, and uh, this theme was suggested by another person at this table, Jen F., and in a minute I'm going to ask her to say more about what brought this to mind, but I figured since the theme is failure, we go around and introduce ourselves and mention a notable failure in our own lives. I will start. I'm uh, Jen, as I said, and my failure is that I tried to go rock climbing and they only let me go out of pity because I could not master the skill of being on ballet for someone. Like, I nearly killed my friend, (laughs) apparently. That's what they said. So they finally let me go up, but only out of pity and with the, like, guy at the rock climbing place holding the rope. (laughs) Was this indoor or outdoor? Indoors. It was really fun, which is so sad. But, like, I could do it with someone else holding my rope, but I am not allowed to hold the rope for anybody else. <laughs> because I'm just not coordinated enough. <laughs> All right, who's next? Um, I'll go. My name is Jen Forget, and um, my probably my most memorable failure is when I took AP Calculus senior year of high school because I had run out of math courses to take, and that was the only option available to me. And by the second semester, I had actually gotten an F on my report card, and I brought it home, and me being the perfectionist in the family, my mother took one look at me and said, I am so proud of you, (laughs) which she had never really said about my my good grades up until that point, (laughs) but it it was a big moment for me to be able to live through a failure like that. Um, I can have one that automatically pops into my mind as one of my most memorable, because it's so hard to choose from such a variety (laughs) of failures. But I do remember in fifth grade, I was uh, on the Biddy League basketball teams, and I was selected for the elite championship competition for Biddy League basketball. My whole family went to this one game, that was a big competition between the two top teams. And I specifically, I remember running out there for the second half and not remembering that you switch basketball hoops during the second half. So I grabbed the ball, ran down, and did a beautiful layup into the other team's basketball hoop. And... Afterwards, I looked over, and my coach was completely hysterical. And I looked up at all my family members laughing hysterically (laughs) in the crowd. And I was mortified. And the point did count for the other team. And it was such a beautiful layup. I had done everything perfectly, and the other team scored. You know, I'd love to say I learned a lesson from that. But it was just a failure. <laughs> it really stunk. Mm-hmm. And it was a hard, you know, experience. 
and then you get up the next day and you go about your life. <laughs> so I think that's one thing about failure is everybody's always trying to find something that you learn from it. Sometimes you just fail and there's nothing that comes out of it. And that's what that was. I would definitely add that experience. That was Diane speaking, by the way. Kate. Hello, my name is Kate Lefman and I am an utter failure at navigating. Um, I'd like to say I've learned how to navigate better in life as I've gotten older, but I haven't. I grew up in a town of one, less than 1,000 people and I got lost all the time. I have gotten lost walking the Freedom Trail in Boston. Um, <laughs> I ended up in Cambridge. I still don't know how that happened. There's literally um, a line you follow. I know. <laughs> I failed to follow the line. <laughs> Every European story I have starts with a, I meant to do this, but then I got lost. <laughs> Just last week, um, a, as a bicyclist, I had to do hill repeats in which you go up a hill and then you go down it. One would think that you could not get lost doing this. <laughs> you would be wrong. <laughs> oh. I'm still laughing about the freedom trail. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I would have said my best friend also is similarly afflicted, and every time we have ever gone anywhere, we have gotten lost. Good <laughs> thing you're well matched. <laughs> and Megan. Um, so I was also trying to pick which of my many, many failures <laughs> I would share, but I've decided to share an enduring failure, which is that I cannot back up a car in a straight line. It, I can't do it. Um, when I learned in driver's ed, I still remember we were in a parking lot. I was supposed to be doing, like, my driver's ed instructor was very mean. And I remember just sitting there and being like, I just can't do it. It's just never going to happen. Let's move on. And he was like, no, you will learn. And it was terrible because... There was a boy who I had a very serious crush on who was my driver's ed partner, and he's sitting in the back seat, and I have to, like, Aww. look back and, like, basically look past his beautiful face, and <laughs> I still sometimes think about that when I'm trying to back up. It's all Devin's fault. If he hadn't been so distracting, I would have learned. Um, but, yeah, I, I remain unable to back up straight or otherwise. That has also bled into parallel parking. I can't parallel park. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> I see you Devin and your beautiful face. I know, it's all Devin's fault. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, thank you for exposing those deep psychic wounds. Um, so I'm, I'm Corinne, and my failure um, in happened in high school. In late high school, I went to... My friend's uh, family had, had some cabins up in Maine, and we went up for uh, a week during the summer... And we went whitewater rafting. And I forgot to bring contacts or didn't have contacts at the time and so wore my glasses and was like, this will be okay. I'll just be really careful. Mm. And we made it through the rapids part of the whitewater rafting. And then we were at this like really calm part and I made it through with my glasses. We were safe. And then the instructor was like, okay, if you guys, you know, we're at a common part. If you want to jump out and go swimming, you can. And so I was like, okay, great. And then I jumped out, and then I climbed back in the raft like 10 minutes later, and then I was like, something's different. <laughs> and I just completely lost my glasses, never to be found again, um, and had to spend the rest of the week without glasses. Um, and my, my eyesight is okay enough that I survived, but what I felt 
really bad about is that my, well, I was also kind of glad that I didn't bring contacts because um, one of my friends who was also on the raft with us, she jumped out and lost one of her contacts, but mm. not the other. And she has really horrible eyesight. And so she had like blinding headaches the rest of the week because oh. she didn't. I think she did have glasses, but I don't. I don't remember the full story. But like mm-hmm. that's how I lost my fairly new pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hey, the moral of the story is just don't engage in physical activity. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lesson that yeah, I have taken. Don't lose yourself and you'll get lost. <laughs> <laughs> don't leave the house. Don't play sports. <laughs> so Jen, tell us more about uh, what brought failure to mind. Yeah, so a bunch of us were talking uh, last time about books, and it just seemed like a theme that kept popping up. I believe the first book that we had talked about was up to this point that Kate told us about, so maybe Kate wants to start with that. So I recently read this, uh, it's a new young adult book called Up to This Point, that's P-O-I-N-T-E, as in Point Shoes for Ballet, by author Jennifer Longo, who's a pretty new author. Uh, this is her second book, and it really struck me as a great, like, first of all, it's a great book, but it struck me really strongly because a lot of the book is de- how is like dealing with failure. Uh, the book concerns a uh, the main character, uh, Harper, who has been training all of her life, like since she was tiny, tiny, uh, with her best friend Kate, that they're going to be professional ballerinas, and that's the plan that they 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 train, they you know take classes on the side, they teach, like, they are going to be ballerina. She has a plan. It's capital P, and, like, it's it's detailed, and they're sticking to it. Um, but as she reaches, like, eight, 17, 18 years old, she's taken aside by her teacher told, like, no, you, you're good, but you don't have what it takes to be a professional ballerina. Like, you don't have quite the right body type. You don't have quite the right skill. And not to ruin too much of the book, um, she freaks out. And she manages to, as you do, run off to Antarctica, ah. where uh, her, family, her family is famous Antarctic explorers, so she milks the connections, and winters over in Antarctica and kind of gets her head together, trying to figure out, you know, how to deal with her friend, who is now a professional ballerina. The fact that she just ran off from the guy that she was really clicking with because she couldn't be a ballerina and also the fact that she's in Antarctica for six months. And she doesn't get it right for a while. And it, I thought it was a really good story because I wanted to be an archaeologist growing up. And I remember the crushing disappointment of, oh, I'm not going to be an archaeologist. And I kind of wish that there were more books like this for teens or young adults or new adults that just dealt with this kind of thing in a realistic, she doesn't get to be a ballerina in the end, but it's all okay. There are other dreams, and I thought that it was a really, really strong story. Well, I also have a YA book to talk about. Um, I recently read Paul Rudnick's book called It's All Your Fault, and I, I love this title. Um, Paul Rudnick wrote a book a couple years ago called Gorgeous, um, which is this really fun, light, um, kind of modern-day fairy tale complete with a um, romance with a prince. Um, but Rudnick um, is a Hollywood screenwriter. He wrote um, Adam's Family Values. He wrote um, In and Out. He wrote The New Stepford Wives with Nicole Kidman. Um, and so he's a relatively recent addition to the YA publishing world. 
So It's All Your Fault has these two really compelling uh, female characters. So they're cousins, and they're complete opposites. So um, your your narrator is Caitlin Singleberry. She's 17, and she's just a total classic good girl. She does everything the way it's supposed to be done. Um, she's from a really big religious um, Christian family, and um, her family is also a singing troupe, complete with matching blazers and knee socks, and they go and perform in shopping malls and, and things like that. that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hilarious. You have my attention. <laughs> so Caitlin's cousin is her complete opposite. Her name is Heller Harrigan, and she's a formal, former child movie star and is now a total train wreck. Um, as many child movie stars turn out. Um, and now that they're both teenagers, they haven't spoken in years. Ever since Heller became famous, they've lost touch, and they really don't know each other anymore, um, although they assume quite a bit about each other based on their reputations. So Heller has just landed this blockbuster um, movie deal, and they've filmed the movie, and they're starting to promote it. And it turns out the the producers of the movie are really nervous that Heller is going to mess everything up, that her shenanigans are just going to be terrible um, for for the movie. So they want somebody near her to kind of like keep an eye on her, not to necessarily be a handler, but somebody who can let her know when, when she's kind of going off the rails. So they pull Caitlin in to, to be her monitor. And... You know, it's such an interesting book because you would think that Heller is kind of the more interesting character because she's the one who will say anything or do anything. But the whole story is from Caitlin's point of view, and it's really interesting to watch how she kind of has to own her convictions. Where, um, you know, if Heller's going to do something and Caitlin says it's wrong, she has to stand behind that and say, "Well, it's not just wrong, but I think it's wrong." You know, for these reasons, she has to just to kind of come to terms with her own rule following and, and how that plays out. So, I mean, it, it is a story about failure in the sense that they both end up screwing up quite a bit <laughs> and they have to get themselves out of a couple messes. Um, so it's really fun story and um, I highly recommend it. It's all your fault. Who else has a... I have one that I just was thinking off the top of my head. Um, and it's relevant because it was written by Pat Con Conroy, who just passed away mm -hmm. from P Prince of Tides. Mm -hmm. But he wrote this um, obscure book on basketball called My Losing Season. Mm -hmm. And it's the um, memoir, basically, about his um, one season at the Citadel. He went to the Citadel for college, and he played college basketball. And it's a great character-building story. And as you know, people say you learn more from losing than you do from winning. And in this book, it's very much the case because in their misery, they form, the team forms very tight bonds. And the back-and-forth insults and exchanges in the locker room. It's almost like, who can really say the hardest thing about your shooting game or your three-point inability to make a three-point shot? And it's great because Pat Conroy was not the tallest. He was not the fastest. He was always going to be a guard because he, he wasn't tall enough to play any other position. 
and he was there on a scholarship, so he had to play no matter how miserable the experience was. And he always had his father in the background saying, you're not that good, you're not a, you're not a basketball player, you can't score. And all of that fueled him to be a successful point guard. And he was actually more determined, worked harder, because not only of the failure, but also because of the um, reminder from his father of what a bitter disappointment he was. But the book is great. There's also his um, personal relationships in it and a failed personal relationship with a woman that he met and fell head over heels in love with. But... Um, the book is actually really poignant because it's very witty humor. And in the end, a lot of the guys after that season go off to the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And he loses a few of his teammates in the Vietnam War. And he talks about that at the end. And you realize how temporary it all is. And, and now he reflects on that losing season as one of the most important times of his, of his life when he really formed great relationships. So if you want something a little different about failure, <laughs> My Losing Season by Pat Conroy. So we can cling to the hope that some people do learn something from failure. <laughs> 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 right. Sometimes it works out. Once in a while, something comes out of it. On a, a later note, this what this theme brought to mind for me was um, a feature that used to be on the Onion AV Club site, which then later turned into a book by Nathan Rabin called My Year of Flops. It started out as a series of columns where Nathan Rabin would revisit a movie that was a commercial and critical failure. But it had to it had to not only have been a failure or a flop, but it had to have some kind of even very minor cult following and kind of be interesting enough to revisit. Um, and it started with a column on the Cameron Crowe movie Elizabethtown, which he quotes from, and there's a wonderful quote about failure from the movie, which became kind of the became kind of the guiding principle for the whole series, which was that there are failures, which are just kind of run-of-the-mill lack of successes, and then there are fiascos, which are like dramatic, <laughs> dramatic, spectacular failures that you almost try to enjoy because you're like, at least it didn't happen to me. <laughs> So he divides the movies up into failures, fiascos, and secret successes, which are movies which he thinks you know deserve to be revisited and reevaluated. That they're better than people remember. But it's just delightful because, as he says, you know, the things that our pop culture rejects are, in some ways, like even more telling than the things that culture embraces. Plus, you know, there are hilariously bad movies. I mean, many terrible movies have cult followings and devoted fans and book after book devoted to where it all went wrong. There's a really funny and really profane podcast called How Did This Get Made, which is kind of along similar lines, where they they watch a terrible movie and then they try to figure out what the creators were thinking. And in some cases, they actually get to talk to them and see, you know, what were they thinking? And how did they so badly mishandle (laughs) this thing? But it's just, you know, it's so, so funny. And he's very kind of generous and open-minded and has this attitude of, delighted curiosity towards these films. And I feel the same. There are a lot of terrible movies that I love and enjoy um, that I just find interesting. I mean, I don't know. There's few things that are so bad that I can't enjoy them. But they're always fascinating in some way. Like Oliver Stone's Alexander, 
don't know if anyone oh. ever saw this with Colin Farrell. Oh my god. Insane failure of a movie, but there are wonderful things in it because everyone in it thinks that they're in a different movie, I think. And, and some people are having a lot of in a good fun. movie and yeah. they're acting their sweet little hearts out. <laughs> There's also there's a movie that I think is unfairly misunderstood, which was a terrible flop um, from like the early 2000s, but it's very 90s kind of in feel called Get Over It, which is a high school romantic comedy about a group of students who are putting on a musical version of Midsummer Night's Dream, <laughs> um, and so there's there are all these kind of Shakespeare parallels of the mismatched lovers and love triangles and people chasing each other around, but not only is it like a hilariously dead-on satire of high school theater, which I was very involved in as a young nerd. But it's just, oh, there's so many funny lines. It has Martin Short as the flamboyant theater teacher. It's got Tristan Dunst, um, Mila Kunis, Ben Foster, and um, who is he? He's the son of the famous actor oh, who everybody loves. Yes, Colin Hanks. All these people who are, they're just wonderful. You know, some of them went on to be great successes, and others, I feel like, you know, I, I wonder what happened to them. I mean, both Colin Hanks and Ben Foster are fabulous in it, and I always wonder, like, why they weren't greater successes career-wise. I wonder what they're doing. Anyway, I, I highly recommend it. Now that I've said that, and you watch it, and you're going to be like, what? <laughs> it also has Cisco. <laughs> oh! <laughs> and he's charming. Oh, my goodness. It's terrific. There are musical numbers. There are, like, musical numbers featuring long-forgotten pop stars of the time. There are so many movies mm -hmm. that you can just go down as failures, mm -hmm. and they're fun mm -hmm. to list. But what's very hard is to recommend a failure, you know, mm -hmm. because there's something that attracted you to that movie, mm -hmm. and you can watch it and fully enjoy it in the failure. But how do you? How do you tell somebody, I'd like to recommend this trash to you. Yeah. It's terrible, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. I recently did actually get one of my colleagues to interlibrary loan my favorite bad '80s movie that it's called Jim Cotta. Um, it merges martial arts with the pommel horse. Oh. <laughs> Yes, it's gymnastic, specifically pommel horse karate. Wow. That is a very it's unique audience. Our intro loan library was like, mmm, <laughs> she'll get anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't half the fun of watching these movies just remembering how they made you feel the first time you yeah. watched them? Mm -hmm. And does anyone have that same feeling with books? at all? Is there like a kind of cheesy book that you read and just loved because oh, maybe it came yeah. to you at the right moment? There are definitely books that you have to read at the right moment. Um, hmm. Like I, I was just having a conversation with another librarian about Little Women, which I did not read at the right time. I didn't read it until adulthood. And then by the time I got there, and it's not that I don't like Louisa May Alcott because I do. I grew up on an old-fashioned girl. And then I also enjoyed Eight Cousins and Rose in Bloom, um, which I didn't read till adulthood. But when I read Little Women, I'm just like, what is this wreck? <laughs> I mean, it's just sappy, namby-pamby, moralistic. And then, you know, nobody ends up with the right person. And everything's so disappointing. Just, uh, I, and I recognize that this is a very important book to many people, but I did not read it at the right time. What I did love as a younger person, and now when I look back on it, you know, you can't but look back on it with some chagrin, was a Mercedes Lackey, 
I was about there. to say the same thing about Mercedes <laughs> Lackey. I, I think we may have talked about this yeah. before. She's a fantasy author, um, famous for this series with this world where there are heralds who are like kind of like knights, and they have these companion horses. There are these like mystical psychic horses. Everything that they, they want bond your fourteen-year-old girl. Everything. And there's <laughs> there's all kinds of like soul bonding stuff. Like people have these kind of fated romantic partners who they're like bonded with instantly and. There's all kinds of angst, and um, oh my gosh, those books were like so delightful. And I still enjoy them now, but with a with kind of a raised eyebrow. <laughs> I'll still read them now, and like it just kind of takes me back to being into a younger, more innocent age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you don't have to think hard when you read the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nostalgia. It's yeah, nostalgia. Like to have the yeah. nostalgia. Absolutely. And sometimes, like, just. Garbage is exactly what you want. Perhaps failures are in some yeah. way more accessible because they don't like they don't rub our faces in our own shortcomings. <laughs> <laughs> like a really a perfect, beautiful work of art, you know, it can be thrilling and uplifting. It can also make you feel like, well, I might as well just hang it up. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. And some of the, I have a pile of books in front of me here, dear listeners, and I. For me, I really like books where there is the failures and like there's not the resounding success at the end. That because um, I don't I don't feel that that's necessarily realistic to me, and I it's not even necessarily realistic to me as a mostly fantasy reader. Um, one of the books that I series I wanted to talk about today that I couldn't get an example of because they're all checked out <laughs> um, is a really superb. Um, it's all in paperback by Seanan McGuire, the October Day series, that's day with an E at the end, because the main character's mom was a fairy, and just sucked at naming. Um, <laughs> the series opens with, like, she's, she had been basically a knight, you know, done quests and, like, good stuff for her lord, because no one else wanted to. Um, she has a terrible power set. Basically, she can taste dead people's blood and tell certain things about how they died. Like, no, this is not this is not good times. <laughs> and she's on a quest. Her her lord's wife and daughter have been kidnapped. When the bad guy shows up, it turns her into a fish for fourteen years. <laughs> <laughs> um, Does she still retain her superpower? No, she's just a fish. And, like, she just is a fish. She's a koi in a pond for a long time. Does she have knowledge of her former life? Like, does no. she retain her memory? And the book opens with her coming back to being a human after, oh. like, a certain amount of time pops, and she's back to being normal-ish. But, you know, life has moved on. She had a husband and kid who have now just assumed that they were abandoned. They were just straight-up human and didn't know that she had these crummy set of powers. They just thought that she was abandoned, so she doesn't have her family. Her, her lord, because the wife and kid, are, they came back, but they're not right. And she's basically post-traumatic stress disorder for probably the first, like, four to five books in this series. Yikes. Like, she gets back to, like, doing the work. Uh, actually, she works as a beggar at a shop and save for a while. Um, and she does a really bad job of that, too. Um, <laughs> but it's, like, the series, is, the series is around ten books now, and, like, she's still, like getting stuff together. Like After, I think, the third book, I was like, hey, one of the people she was trying to save actually survived. Um, <laughs> so there's small successes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it grows on small successes, and like her, her power set gets a little... It gets better at time, but it's a really... 
as a, especially as a fantasy reader where, you know, like, oh, they're super powered and they go kill the dragon. It's, it's much more of, I, it, it clicks with me because it's much more personal growth. And yeah, don't if you read it, don't get attached to any of the characters. <laughs> I think so it saved them. I think you touched on a good point though about how a book ends. And for me, I always want that good ending because I feel like I'm living real life and I know that things are kind of unpredictable and everything doesn't work out in the end. We live that day to day. So can I just have a temporary break from that reality and mm-hmm. give me a pleasant mm-hmm. ending, you know? <laughs> and I'm so disappointed when a book ends just regular or even on a low point. I'm like, no, you need to wrap it up and everybody has to work things out in the end because I'm not I want to be happy when I shut the book. Yeah, so, I'd, I'd say that's why I read as much YA as I do cuz, you know, adult literary fiction is so depressing so much of the time and it doesn't often give you that happy ending and you you like you know i'm not a big fiction reader but even um with memoirs and biographies Mm -hmm. i'm done with bad childhoods Mm -hmm. i have read Mm -hmm. so many bad childhood books and i'm like how come there aren't a healthy balance of happy childhood? Because nobody wants to read happy childhood. How was your childhood? It was pretty good. Thank you. you know? like, what's wrong with that? You can't get published unless you had a trauma. And I'm just I'm done with like, it. Dear reader, if you're listening to this, and like books about depressing people with bad childhoods and they end poorly, come see Kate the reference. <laughs> yeah. um, that is that is my bag. <laughs> Dive into those, huh? Uh, yeah, like if it's I, I did for a fiction, while. Non-fiction, if like it's a bad childhood, maybe even supernaturally bad childhood. That is my book. Like <laughs> that's that's fifty percent of my pile of have in front of me. <laughs> no, seventy-five percent. Sorry, the ballerina was kind of happy. <laughs> there are definitely there. Readers are definitely divided into two camps, the people who just cannot get enough misery and suffering, (laughs) and those of us who really want things to work out and lessons to be learned and growth to happen uh, without too much pain. I've often had arguments with a friend of mine about this, where she's like, "Ah, this book just didn't satisfy me because the characters didn't suffer enough. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't understand you. But, oh yeah, I mean, there are all the kids who grew up thrilling to tales of sad orphans and... Then there are the kids like me who just wanted to read Heidi over and over again because everything works out great. <laughs> I was I, as a kid, I was really into the orphan books, and I often would like. I used to play like make believe games with all the kids in our neighborhood, and the most popular and enduring one was dubbed Lost Kids, where we were a pack of orphans running for social services. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> Yes, we were like determined to live on our own, like the boxcar children. We wouldn't let them put us into like these uh, these these loving adoptive homes that they would put us into. Um, we were also obviously very naive about what the foster care system is like. Um, but we were so we were just like this pack of children in real life and in our game who would like roam the neighborhood and like pretend to make fires. Um, but we were like fed on these stories of orphaned children, and I was huge into boxcar children, like. Actually, if you're ever on the Minuteman bike path, there's one part in Arlington right before Spy Pod where there's like a like an old train car next to it. And I was actually walking past it the other day, and I was like, I hope the kids who live in this neighborhood have broken in there and made their own boxcar children. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I was like, that's all I want for these kids. Um, 
But as I've gotten older, I feel like I've turned now to things where I want them to be happy. Like, I was much more okay with, like, sadness and darkness when I was younger. And now I'm just like, I just want things to work out. Like, at least learn something or, like, move on or, like, come to peace with something. Come I to can't. Peace. Yeah. I totally yeah, relate to that, too. And, and you know, as, as someone who makes a lot of recommendations to, to parents of readers, you know, as adults, we're very concerned about what's what's in this book. Is it going to be something that's going to scare our kids? And most of the time it's like, oh, a book about a kid whose parents died and, you know, the whole world comes crashing down around them. Like, that doesn't phase them. It's, they can handle it. Yeah. yeah. We can't handle it. We can't, can't handle it. Yeah. It's true. Well, I mean, yeah. you need failure often to set off a story, you know, to set a story in motion, just like... In a fairy tale, you know, the princess never has a functional mother around or else none of, none of these things would have happened, you know. You know, that's why in young adult books so often they have to get rid of the parents, or, you know, in fairy tales, children's books as well, or with adult books, you, especially like the romances that I read, of course they always end up happily, but very often they start with a terrible failure. And one, of my, uh, one of my favorites from the Endless Fool's Gold series by Susan Mallory uh, is about a woman whose husband comes out and leaves her and you know that's how the story begins and of course she's feeling like her marriage was a failure and uh, that's three little words by Susan Mallory and it's very often you know a, a romance or a story will begin with the heroine losing her job or being left at the altar or discovering something terrible about the guy she thought was the one and you know if those things didn't happen then there'd be no reason for the story. Mm-hmm. So. So I've actually been a failure at reading lately. I realized I have only finished one or two books in like the last month. I keep failing to finish, like I keep starting things and then not finishing them, um, including a book that I checked out specifically for this meeting about failure. It's called ah. The Gift of Failure, and then I failed <laughs> to read it before it was due and turned it back in. I've heard so of that. Who wrote it? I don't remember. <laughs> Why do I think it's um, J.K. Rowling? It's not. No, her, it's not it? J.K. Rowling. She gave a speech at Harvard right. about failure. Oh, yeah. And, um, I think at Harvard Law School, like maybe ten years ago, she. Gosh, I can't believe that was that long ago. I know there's a book out on that one too. Yeah, there's a couple books. There's one that's about that's like written for high school grads. That's kind of about how there's lots of different paths to success, and like the one that your parents envisioned for you isn't necessarily the right one for everyone. I don't remember what that one's called, but, um, ah, yeah, the one that I tried to read and did not was called The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. I read that because obviously there's been a lot of conversation in the Boston area, in particular in the last couple of years, about high school students and stress and the way that adult members of the community can help support students, um, and a big part of that conversation was how do we define success for high school students, and... Um, that's something that you know, we've talked about here at the library, and there's been a huge discussion in town. Um, so that's the one that I was trying to read and ended in. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I've had kind of a quiet time with books recently as well. I've just mostly been reading a spate of romance novels. One terrible, and then two, you know, one terrible followed by an awesome one, and then a pretty good one. So I was very thrilled. But the, uh, the really good one, I won't mention the terrible one, because, you know, I'm not going to be like that. But the really awesome one was the new Eloisa James called My American Duchess. Um, and I was just so happy because I love her, but her recent books have been sort of not so great for me. And I sort of wondered if she had like run out of you know, things to say or kind of gone off on a weird, gone down a weird road that I couldn't follow. But this was a wonderful book uh, about an American duchess, obviously. 
but an American who comes to England, you know, to basically trade her fortune for a title, like many women did at the time, and you know, the struggles of being an American among the British aristocracy, and there's a whole wonderful thing involving pineapples and growing pineapples in 19th century England. <laughs> it's just so well-researched, which I love. I love that. I love when they can take you yeah. down a road that you've never experienced, and they do it in mm-hmm. such breadth and detail. Yeah, and, and she just, you know, James deploys her research in this really natural, wonderful way that doesn't, like, gum up the worst of the story at all, but um, she really gets into the period and really evokes it, um, and she manages to accomplish so much in short scenes. Like, it's sort of a love at first sight story, definitely an attraction at first sight story, but after this one first conversation between the hero and heroine, you really believe that they would like each other, and you really see how they're compatible, and this is all accomplished just, you know, in a couple of lines. I highly recommend, if you're into that kind of thing, which I am. Sounds like a nice read. Yes. <laughs> One that, you know, those books where you can't wait to get home and get and get into with a warm cup of coffee or tea, and you're just like, mm-hmm. I love having a good read going. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I spent this morning lying around finishing. Yeah. <laughs> Get another yeah. romance novel before yeah. I come to work. But <laughs> I was like, yes, I have this couple of hours and I'm just going to fall into this book and not come out until yeah. it's done. It's such pleasure. <laughs> I, I completely agree. This is why I can't really read fiction unless I'm on vacation or I have like a long block of time to set aside because I get so into books that I really can't stop. Yeah. So during the work week, I mostly read nonfiction, which I find easier to put down and pick yeah. up again. <laughs> That's smart. Yeah, I had that feeling. So one of the books that I did manage to finish was My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante. Uh-huh. It finally came in off the holds list for me. And it was, it was very well written. It's a beautiful book. Now that I have some distance from it, I can appreciate it. But while reading it, it was sort of miserable because she's so good at drawing you into this world. And that world is full of violence and poverty and pain and uncertainty. And it's, you know, the book covers, I think they're like eight or nine when it starts and then 16 when this one finishes. And so, like, those are some pretty tumultuous years to be a girl, Mm -hmm. particularly a girl in, like, a very poor family in, like, the 1950s in Naples. And you're, like, battling your abusive father to allow him to, like, you go to school. I mean, that's... Man, what a trip. So you were, I was so drawn into it that I would put it down sometimes because I could just feel myself like falling into this hole of emotion. And sometimes I would read it while I was eating breakfast and then have to come to work. And I was just like, for the whole day, I felt so off. Mm-hmm. So she's, I mean, as everybody has said, you know, in every newspaper in the world, like she's an incredible writer. She's very accomplished. But reading her book was not pleasant. Like it, <laughs> I didn't enjoy reading it. But I can appreciate it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Megan, I started that book, and I got about halfway through it, and I had to put it down because it's a bad childhood. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. It's mm-hmm. so dark, and I'm yeah. like, I can't stand watching bad parenting, children just having these horrific traumas over and over and over yes. again. I just, I can't take it anymore. It takes you down that dark hole, and I just said, and... That book was recommended to me. It's wonderful, beautifully written, incredibly. And that's almost the danger in it because if you don't want to go down that dark road, Mm -hmm. it's so visually explicit that that you are there. You are in the middle of that story, in that scene, in that moment. 
And it's really a hard situation to witness. And you yeah. feel like you are literally witnessing each scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't take it. It's the bad childhood stories yeah. again. I am... When I finished it, I was like, you know what? I'm not reading the rest of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The first of four. I was just like, you know what? I don't need to know. Like, this can't get better. <laughs> but, um, but now, like, I'm two weeks out. And you might. And now I'm like, but what happens to that? And you're like, it's just, she, she's, she's so, so good. She is so good. She's so accomplished. The and, like, book is incredibly well written yeah. I'm like can't anybody have something good happen to them because then I'll stick <laughs> with it just give me something good here I know I'm like know? can we find somebody who can write that well but about something that isn't like terrible and traumatic and hard to read like, and it's please. like what Jen said about you know you need the hardship and the difficult the difficulties mm -hmm. to make a rich story it's a yeah. very rich story oh, yeah but it's so, it takes you down a dark road. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> well, and to kind of tie into the failure theme, I mean, the you know, the story of the two girls and seeing one of them succeed, at least, you know, in school, and then to see this other girl who's so brilliant and so smart and so just, like, this, like, kind of natural intellect, to see her continually fail is so hard. I think it's that, like, the layering of failure on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not one of those things where people are learning from their failures. No. <laughs> it's just life is hard. That's the, yeah. that's the message. <laughs> the message yeah. is just like, thank goodness I wasn't alive in this situation <laughs> at that time. <laughs> Morning, this book is too good and it will take you places you were not prepared to go. <laughs> oh, yeah, really. You almost wish that a like a worse writer had written that story that you wouldn't feel all of that it's pain. It's such a powerful emotional experience. Yeah. It gives it packs a punch. It really does. Yeah. I'm in the middle of um, The Road to Character by David Brooks. Mm -hmm. And this was a New York Times bestseller. Have you guys heard of it? Mm -hmm. I'm sure because it was uh, circulating nonstop last summer. And mm -hmm. I just it was not in the mood for that preachy Here's, you know, where I'm, where my moral failures are, but this is where everybody else has succeeded. Like, I, I don't need the comparison right now. <laughs> but, um, but eventually, after more and more circulations, I said, you know what, I'm kind of curious. I'll pick it up and see, because I'm kind of in the, mo in the mood for a preachy book. <laughs> and um, it's wonderful. It's wonderful, because it's, it's little quips of different people, which I love biographies, so, but they're just short biographies throughout the book of how these individuals, like um, Frances Perkins, Dorothy Day, uh, Eisenhower, and right now I'm reading George Marshall, uh, how they developed their character. What were their life experiences that helped them achieve the high level of integrity, and responsibility and work ethic and all those other character traits that made them achieve their success. And you know, it's amazing failure moments. Like George Marshall was such a um, mediocre student. He was below par in almost everything he did. And he was going away to the Virginia Tech Military School and his older brother was there. And his older brother came home and tried to convince his mother don't send him. 
He is going to embarrass me. He's going to embarrass the family. He's going to be a failure his whole life. And he overheard the conversation. And he said that conversation drove him to such discipline and such work ethic to prove that that was not who he was going to become. And it was only through his hard work and self-discipline that he achieved his success because he was not a brilliant mind by any means. But that catapulted him to all different levels. And no matter how miserable his job was, he stuck with it, and he always tried to conform to whatever situation he was in. And it's just very interesting little tidbits like that throughout the uh, book. And to Jen's point, you can put the book down. Because <laughs> you yeah. read one biography, and then it's good. Mm -hmm. And you take a break from it. So mm -hmm. I would recommend that for our failure, too. Excellent. Like all these examples of learning from failure. So clearly, Diane's next move is going to become a pro basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> Get on that. Don't let the moral down. <laughs> it's so much better in books than it is in reality. <laughs> I'd rather experience somebody else's failure in a book. Bibliophiles is a production of Cary Memorial Library in Lexington, Massachusetts. Matt Schumann engineered the podcast and created our theme music. Do you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Library or on Twitter and Instagram at Library. That's C-A-R-Y-M-E-M -E Library. For show notes and to find out more about us, visit us at carrylibrary.org.